Well, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, the Lord be with you. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your Holy Spirit, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, well, unless you're new, you already know that uh, Ecclesiastes is a peculiar book. I don't mean peculiar in the sort of being um, strange or, uh, well, I guess it is a little strange, but um, it belongs in Scripture, but for very specific reasons. And it, it does seem to be quite against the grain of a great deal else of what we sometimes read. Um, it's not law. It's a preamble to the gospel. And it has a tendency to sort of disabuse us of our uh, fondest illusions in a way that seems to be painful. I, I think, I don't know because I haven't taken a poll, I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's not read much. Um, there aren't many sermons on it. Not many devotionals. Um, but I think it's a very uh, necessary book. Um, and again, uh, if you don't like the message, please don't kill me. I'm only the messenger. Now, let's see what maybe everything will work. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be moving back and forth looking at different texts in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is... is it's it's not it's very difficult to to outline if you read any commentaries popular or academic you'll see that's always an interesting thing as they say well as i say if you get you know three different common commentators you get five different outlines um so it moves back and forth and we're gonna do that because reading and interpreting ecclesiastes is like following a meandering river uh, but it's meandering with a purpose. As, as Solomon moves from one topic to another and then back again, back and forth between pleasure and money and achievement and power and politics and injustice and the world and time and eternity, wisdom and foolishness, life and death, you'll find sections that focus on that that are somewhat longer, but then you'll find it spread throughout until it finally comes to a conclusion, though. It is a meandering with a purpose and with a final destination towards which Solomon is slowly leading us. But it's important to see everything as we go down the river uh, because he will be gradually disabusing us of every notion we have of finding meaning in, quote, following our dreams, pursuing pleasure, or trying to make a dent in the universe. That's a phrase from... <coughs> Steve Jobs, and much as Apple Computer has made a dent in the capitalist system in the world, I don't think it's made a dent in the universe. Neither has the capitalist system. So along the way, he slaughters a lot of sacred cows and kills unicorns, even, even baby unicorns, um, just so you know. Um, there is, 
an overall thematic unity to Ecclesiastes, that idea of uh, disabusing us, of finding meaning in this world. Uh, that uh, unity is the frustration, futility, and sometimes absurdity of life in this world under the sun. It's a world that cannot deliver what it seems to promise, a world that is never enough. And it is never enough because under the sun, pleasure, achievement, wisdom, work, and riches are all hebel. That word hebel we looked at last week, uh, it means, depending on the context, meaninglessness or meaningless, fleeting, frustrating, futile, pointless, absurd. They do not gain us eternity, lasting fulfillment, or final meaning. Uh, let me go ahead and read some of the back and forth that I was talking about. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I, Solomon writes, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Oh, and... Something Nick said just really struck me. He said about uh, you know being able to 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 wander or ramble uh, even with notes. Uh, for we're we're both ambidextrous. We can ramble with or without notes. So I, I when I read that, um, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. It's one thing. It's very difficult to persuade adolescence of that, you know, your life is actually quite brief. I was in the 10th grade once, and it doesn't seem like it was yesterday, but it was, seemed like it was last week. For some reason, I remember my 10th grade more than my senior year. The only thing I remember from my senior year is my prom, and I remember it because I didn't really remember it, and that's another story because I won't get into that. And I can remember sitting in English class in 10th grade, you know, joking around with a friend of mine. I remember a lot of other things like they were yesterday. And this is the 50th year of my uh, high school, 50th reunion of my high school graduating class. And it really just seemed to, to pass like nothing. And, and then it's gone. And sometimes I look at my high school senior portrait and I think, well, I'm still kind of that guy, but, but I'm not really. That was long ago and far away. So Solomon says, well, in the short time, pleasure doesn't seem to do the trick. And in verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. He was king of an empire, so he had the means to do this. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the pleasure of kings and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. 
In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He's weighing and assessing all this while he's in it. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In chapter 5, Uh, 10 through 15, he says this about money. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. And in verse 15, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. You, You can't take it with you. That's probably where that paraphrase comes from. So the world is never enough. We do not gain eternity, lasting fulfillment, or final meaning in anything that we do. So Solomon's declarations about the satisfying nature of life in this world are not just sour grapes. You know, I really didn't think wealth was going to make me happy. Uh, And it wasn't because he never got wealth. I didn't think power, you know, I really didn't think that would ever make me happy, and it wasn't because he didn't get power. He ruled an empire. He had more money, pleasure, and power than most men can imagine. But that was several thousand years ago. Let's look at a more modern, if somewhat less articulate, example of having it all, but longing for something deeper. This is an interview on 60 Minutes with Tom Brady in 2005. Uh, after he won his third Super Bowl when he was 37 years old. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, put a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So... In a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. Be back. No way. Do you mean like alone or not alone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Um, did, the, did the cheap seats in the back hear that? Um, I hope. So that was Tom Brady uh, 18 years ago. I remember seeing that video. Um, that was before uh, YouTube was really a thing. Um, I thought, boy, I wish I had a copy of that video. And it was really easy to find. 
so I don't know what Tom Brady might think now. He's up to seven Super Bowl rings. Uh, he's even more wealthy. He married a supermodel uh, and is considered the best quarterback in history, which I'm not prepared to argue for or against, but, but a lot of people do. But I, I can imagine he met, you still think there's, there's got to be more than this. So he's almost the epitome, and there are others. You could pick a movie star, you could pick the King of England, you could uh, pick the President of the United States, who seem to have reached a pinnacle of success. And I think deep down they know just, this just really isn't fulfilling me. It is not really filling up that hole in my heart, which Augustine said is a God-shaped hole, but I won't ramble over that way. Um, so you can have it all from this world and still have nothing. Um, so when Solomon tells us that all we do in life is ultimately heaven, he means that we should not expect to get from this world what it cannot give, eternity, lasting fulfillment, or final meaning. This is, there's an important paradoxical point, though, about living our lives in this meaningful world. Although he says this, he does not say that we should therefore not do anything or that we can never enjoy life. Um, here's what he does say. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm going to be moving back and forth, meandering. In chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And then chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the la during the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is the gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. And in chapter 9, verses 7 and 10, 7 through 10. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you live all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Remember, there's no, it's not absent, but there's no great emphasis in Ecclesiastes on life after death. 
And as far as life under the sun, life in this world is concerned, the grave is the end of it all. So life can and should be enjoyed when we have the means and opportunity to do so. And as much as we can, we should share that enjoyment with others. Paul told Timothy that uh, we could receive all things with thanksgiving and enjoy them from God. So subsumed under that overarching theme that the world is never enough are the key sub-things I noted last week. Uh, this is a weary and worn out world. We are captives on the carousel of life and time. Eternity beckons but eludes us. Death awaits us all. And remember your creator and fear God. There are other sub-themes. Uh, the fact of unrighteousness and injustice in the world is another one, but I feel like we covered that well in Job and other, other sub-themes that we won't have time to cover. So again, I, I really recommend that you read it closely yourself. But I think we can group most of what Solomon has to say around these five themes. Uh, we'll look at these closely and carefully as we can over the next five weeks, in, including this week. Starting with the one that sets the tone for the whole book, this is a weary and worn out world. And that's what we'll finish up with today. Let me go ahead and read uh, chapter 1, 1 through 11 again. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all the labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So let's, we'll look at this. Uh, in detail and closely. This sets the tone and the theme for the entire book. Um, so he uses uh, vivid imagery and a, a hint of hyperbole here to paint a picture of this world and human life as subject to futility, frustration, and dissatisfaction. So if you feel futile, frustrated, or dissatisfied, welcome to life in a fallen world. That's the way it is. He does not, and it doesn't mean you, you never have any sense of fulfillment when you've completed a project or something like that. But it doesn't last. But the weariness, uh, 
He does not specifically mention the fall uh, from innocence of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We talked about that uh, Wednesday night, last Wednesday night. Uh, he is speaking from wisdom, focused on this world, not from the law, not from uh, the first five books of the Bible. He is talking about life under the sun. But the weariness and futility this passage evokes, if you read it, it almost makes you weary just reading it. And its oft-repeated refrain throughout Ecclesiastes bespeaks a world that never reaches its goal and cannot fulfill its purposes. The Apostle echoes this thought, the Apostle Paul echoes this thought when he writes in Romans chapter 8 that the creation itself was subjected to frustration and bondage to decay. So not only are we frustrated as individuals, this, this is not, we're, we're not unusual here. I mean, I'm not unusual, you're not unusual, you're not unusual. This is the lot of life in a fallen world that never reaches its goal and that is forever cycling around in frustration. Uh, not only that, but against the backdrop of error that remains forever. It goes on and on and on. The seasons come and the seasons go. Human life against this backdrop, human life and human history are transitory and futile. Uh, we think history is going somewhere. It, it's not really in the sense of human progress. Uh, history has, its, uh, has God's divine plan in it. It has a climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a final consummation in Jesus Christ's return, the resurrection of the dead, and the fullness of the kingdom of God. But everything we are doing, uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, human history, I'm paraphrasing, human history is the long, sad story of human beings trying to find something other than God that will make them happy. So of course it's going to be futile because there isn't anything else. History and our lives do not possess nor they can create the meaning and significance that we yearn for and that we pursue. Uh, it's not in the Constitution, but it is in the Declaration of Independence that what we're seeking is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, sometimes it will land on you, but pursuing it doesn't guarantee it. The cycles of nature flow on endlessly, seeming. Um, if you believe in standard uh, cosmological and geological dating, and I do, the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, and I don't know, we've got like three or four billion years left. So that is not endlessly in the sense of infinite time, but it's endless in the sense of the Hebrew, which means unto the ages. So ages upon ages. It's called deep time sometimes in paleontology. So as far as we can possibly conceive, the cycles of nature will go on and on and on, never seeming to reach their goal of fulfillment. Cosmic treadmill keeps moving, but it gets nowhere. So the world is weary and wearisome. All things are weary, more than one can say. And we are never fully satisfied with what it offers to our senses and sensibilities. Um, the eye never has enough of seeing, the ear of hearing. Uh, we never have enough pleasure. We always want more. We never sit down and just 
be satisfied. Uh, it's good advice when the writer of Hebrews says you should be content with what you have. And when Paul writes, uh, having food and shelter, let us be content with that. Contentment is difficult, particularly in this culture, which demands that we move forward and achieve our dreams, which we never can. We always want to see more, hear more, experience more. We are never content, restless, and longing for je ne sais quoi. You know, I, I don't know what. What we do not know. Uh, but whatever it is, we know that once we have it, we will finally be content and complete and fulfilled, whatever it is. Um, nothing truly new or unique happens in history. There is nothing new under the sun. What? Like there's, there's a new iPhone every five or six years, isn't it? Well, not really new. And, you know, Apple did not invent the iPhone. They did not invent the graphical. They, they didn't invent anything. Steve Jobs was just a really smart entrepreneur. I believe Apple is the largest corporation in the world now. Just like Edison. Thomas Edison did not invent the light bulb. Gee, I hate to... I'm killing all sorts of unicorns today. Now, he borrowed the idea. Now, he perfected it. He made it work better than anybody else, and so he gets the credit. Um, uh, if if uh, Edison had had his way, everything would be DC current. I don't know what the world of electricity would look like, but... He got into a big back and forth with uh, Tesla, among others. But, but gadgets and, and technology proliferate. Uh, you, you get new things constantly. I'm not sure life gets better because of it. It gets more complicated. More productivity is expected. Uh, I mean, PowerPoint did not exist when I was in school. We didn't even have whiteboards. We literally used a blackboard. It was black, and it had white chalk. We didn't even have a green board and yellow chalk. Um, but the more things change, the more our lives are the same old, same old. You could say there is alteration and development in technology, and some of these things I'm very grateful for, indoor plumbing, uh, electricity. Um, if you ever been hiking in the back country and, you know, you. Your, your toilet is a convenient place and you dig a hole um, and your light is your flashlight until your batteries go out. You do learn to appreciate basic necessities like indoor plumbing and things like that. But, you know, the Romans had indoor plumbing. Well, the rich Romans did. Um, but we don't. Things, and things only seem new because we forget the past. I'm always amazed. Well, I'm amazed and kind of annoyed. Pop stars come and go. I could name some of the big pop. Well, shoot, I've forgotten most of them. Um, does anybody remember Debbie Boone? Jewel? Well, no, probably not. Um, and the pop stars today, now I have noticed that lyrics have gotten cruder. There hasn't been an advance in the lyrical and aesthetic quality of popular music. That's actually degraded over the years. Pop stars come and pop stars go. Things only seem new because we forget the past. Um, this is 9-11. Um, I did remember it and then I forgot. I was going to put my flag up first thing in the morning. We really shouldn't forget in the sense that we should honor people who, you know, go above and beyond to, uh, to sacrifice their lives for other people. 
They only seem new because we forget the past. What has been done will be done again, maybe with different costumes and better production values. Yet we will not remember that our loves and our longings and jealousies and strivings were the same as our ancestors and will be the same as our descendants. And they too will forget about all that we have cherished or hated or fought or loved for. That's what he said. Does anybody have any questions? What kind of questions do you have? And I'm a little loath to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I really think that's what Solomon said. That's what he really meant in these first 11 verses and elsewhere in the text. But then again, uh, one must interpret Scripture. And if you have something to add or comment or even disagree with, feel, feel free to do so. Because it is a tough message. Do we have any questions? Yes, Miguel and, and Tom. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about, you talked about this in relation to the fall, but you also referred to this as having, this doesn't really have a ton to do with law necessarily. How much of this is human condition just by pure virtue of the fall and how much of this is human condition in a sense prior to the fall just in terms of recognizing scale? Like would Adam and Eve in your mind have recognized the futility of life apart from God prior to the fall at all? Like would they have seen the scale of their lives relative to eternity? Well, I, I would say just off the top of my head, if they knew what they were getting into, there wouldn't have been a fall. So uh, my basic answer would have been no. It's like, you know, if we eat this apple, we're just going to totally ruin our lives and everything will be utterly futile, meaningless, and frustrating. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. No, they were deceived. Now, why did Satan fall? Now, that's... Boy, we could, that is kind of rambling. Uh, they were deceived by Satan. Satan wants to be God. Um, I actually believe Satan is psychopathic, um, if you want to psychologize it. He, uh, he actually believes he can win. Um, he's kind of like Adolf Hitler in the bunker, right, until the point he shot himself in the head. He believed that, that he could win. Um, he thinks he can take God, he thinks he can be God, and he was going to recruit us. Um, and he also wanted to, you know, stab at God's heart, so to speak. And so they didn't know, except they knew they were disobeying God, and they were seduced into believing that they should be at the reins of their own lives, like Nick was talking about this morning. And, um, professing to be wise, they became foolish. So, no, I don't think they would have known that um, life apart from God, was, they, they should have known they were going to die. They apparently didn't believe that either. So, a lot of theologians say disbelief is the heart of sin. I won't say that's wrong, I say, but it's more desire to displace God. I want to be God. Um, I don't think, well, even now we don't fully realize the consequences of that because we keep doing it. I was kind of rambling. Does that answer your question any? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I, I think if they had really known what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. 
Um, and then the question is, of course, what would have happened then? But that would really be rambling. Tom, did you have a question? Well, you had mentioned there's some echoes of this in, in Paul's writings. Romans chapter 8. Yeah. yeah. Are there... Are there any explicit citations to Ecclesiastes? As, you know, there are no explicit uh, t citations where we know a verse is being qu quoted. There are some who say they're allusions. I think that's an allusion. I think where James mentioned, he, he talks about people who boast about their business dealings. And he said, what, what are you talking about? What is your life anyway? You're just a mist. I'm sure he had... Ecclesiastes in mind, but there aren't any, there aren't any direct quotes. Now they didn't quote scripture like, like we quoted chapter and verse. There were no chapters and verses, but they would say it is written, or as the prophets say, as Moses said. Um, there's nothing, none of that in the New Testament about Ecclesiastes. It's sort of background. Any other questions? Well, can I ask a question? Well, how do you feel about that? I mean, really, I mean, it, it's not correct to say absolutely in an unnuanced sense that Solomon is saying your, wa your life is a complete waste of time no matter what you do. No, not really. There are things that have to be done, and it's good to do it. Uh, you can enjoy life. Um, even when you get older and, and you're, you're kept upright and alive by <laughs> medication and modern miracles of medicine. Um, I'm speaking of myself, actually. Um, I just, you know, old people complaining about their complaints are kind of annoying, but, you know, I just had two knee injections. Um, I get cortisone injections, and without them, I, it's just it really hurts all the time and it's like you know I'm really looking forward to that resurrected body but what if you don't have that what if you don't have that hope um, if, if you really believe this life is all there is you're going you're going to be desperate and if you ever watch um, medical commercials for procedures and drugs and stuff like that there is a desperation to it and I'm not knocking medication at all or or surgeries. I mean, I had them. I'm, I'm grateful for it. But I, I like, I don't like, I, I find the one for, that uh, was Obdivo. And if you're taking a, Obdivo, I'll, 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 I want to be kind of reluctant like Nick was with, with, the, uh, with the death of Queen Elizabeth, who I think was a magnificent lady and by all accounts a good Christian. But Obdivo used to have this really, you know, out there commercial where you saw like a big projection on a giant skyscraper, a chance to live longer. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a breast cancer for metastatic breast cancer. And if you know anything about metastatic breast cancer, you're not going to live that much longer. And if you lead in a small print, it's like, I forget like how many few months it was. And they sounded like it, they make it sound like it's the elixir of life. Now, if you take this drug, you know, your life will be fulfilled. Well, no, it might make things a little bit easier. And there's a certain desperation in, the, in, in modern medicine, I think, popularization of it that is all about the desire for eternal life. Um, death is not really part of life. It's not natural, and we all know it. Um, anyway, I was rambling. But how do you feel about that? I mean, Solomon is kind of a buzzkill. I mean, do you, do, you, do you think 
I mean, is that really in the Bible, or did <laughs> it's supposed to be in the Bible, or did they make a mistake, Colleen? Yeah, I mean, it's all true, but I just put it all in the context. It all everything that seems worrisome and unsatisfactory, it all is in the providence of God, it all has a purpose. All things come together for good. He said all things, not some things. So it's kind of like if you can get above the worldly messages and stuff, then you have that peace and hope. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what it sounds gloom and doom, but I don't, that's not the way. It's not meant to be gloom and doom. It's, it's meant to be the doctor's uh, diagnosis. I, I don't, some of you are old enough to remember that, you know, not informing patients of the, of the uh, uh, dire chances uh, uh, that they're going to experience because of this diagnosis, not telling them used to be a thing. Oh, don't tell them, it'll just upset them. Um, well, yeah, it'll upset you, and maybe you should be upset. Um, I, I hear they still do that kind of thing in Japan, where they, they keep bad diagnosis away from patients. Well, here's the thing. I, you're right. If we, if we know that beyond this uh, veil of tears and suffering, uh, there really is the kingdom of heaven and the resurrection of the dead, but that's the point. We are not supposed to get too invested in this life. And maybe, even Christians have a chance, tendency to do that. Maybe it takes some years to become more comfortable with the disappointments. And as you grow in Christ and you experience pain and disappointment, he gives you the, if you're following Christ, as that wearisomeness grows, so does your faith. So... Well, that's the end of the story. Colleen gave it all away. <laughs> so we're, we're going to skip. Well, no, of course that's true. That's absolutely true. I couldn't put it better myself, Colleen, really. Can you repeat it? Colleen said, as you grow in Christ, uh, actually, Colleen, could you repeat that? As you grow in Christ, the, you, you, can, you cannot overcome the weariness, but you can see beyond it. Is that, is that a good summary? Yes, I think like in youth, when I think about how I thought of things in my youth, and I didn't have Christ, but even in your youth with Christ, but as you grow in Christ, and I think you experience the weariness and the sadness of the world, it like it goes hand in hand. It's okay because God gives you that grace and you have the knowledge of, I don't know, for me, all things come together for good. It's like you put these things that are unsatisfying and you're going, great, I found that out. So I don't go down that road anymore. It's like more you're like <coughs> looking towards heaven. Is that, I don't know, there's just some... Well, no, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with, with anything. Uh, the only, I would say that the good that it's working for is to becoming like Christ, and sometimes that's painful, though. Yeah, so. but, it's, but in the end, have you ever looked back to me in life, the things that are painful also turn out to be the things that have made me more like Christ. So I'm like, okay, 
Have at it. <laughs> okay. Did, did we hear back there? Miguel, you had a question or a comment? Well, I was just going to say my reaction to this. You know, I'm still in my youth, and I'm still in the, I have a chance to do all of the, the crazy things that Solomon is talking about now. But um, I think that's one of the things is that I'm, I wish, like, I'm only 23, and I still wish I had heard this message more when I was younger. Because, you know, I grew up in the world of, like, uh, of um, being told that, you know, you could accomplish whatever you put your mind to. And, you know, there were all... You can these, be whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, and there were all these... You could set big, massive goals for yourself and change the world or whatever. And I... <clears throat> I think, and then on top of that, when things went wrong, it was also entirely my fault and I had to change my course of action. And I wish I'd heard this message before because there were so many things where um, I could prepare for X, but then I wouldn't know about like when my dad got cancer or I wouldn't know about... Um, if you have kids, it's like 11.45, a little bit past. So I guess I'm just saying that I wish I would have I wish this book would have been something preached on more frequently when I was younger so I could have heard this message more frequently. Well, remember I said there's a paradox, because I'm going to preach at you here in a second, um, <laughs> where, where, where he says, you know, whatever your uh, hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You really ought to try and get good at whatever it is you're doing, no matter what it is you're doing. Um, Seriously, blue-collar work, white-collar work, not just ministry, you know, be good at whatever you do. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't enjoy life. Um, here's what Solomon says that we're skipping ahead. But remember, the river kind of meanders. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. So he's basically saying, don't worry, it doesn't, it's meaningless anyway. Um, <laughs> in other words, enjoy, enjoy what you can. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, by the way, you know, when, when you, can, you can no longer run, life is better. No, no, it isn't. Okay. <laughs> it's better when you can run. What if a bear chases you? Um, that's why I don't wear shorts, by the way. What if a bear chases me through thorn bushes? Why do I want to wear shorts? Um, so th he'll be paradoxical. Um, uh, he is saying, don't, don't invest uh, your eternal longings in things that don't last. But, you know, doesn't mean you can't have a good time with your friends. It really doesn't. Of course, then, remember, God's going to bring you into judgment. So I used to tell kids, you know, like, you're young and you're going to be stupid, but don't, see, don't do things that are so stupid that it ruins your life. So that's basically what Paul, I mean, what Solomon was saying there. I think it's good. I think this is like he said. I wish I'd known. Well, I still wish I'd remember this every day that I live in the world. <laughs> and I would say this: um, 
you still get, no matter how old, I don't know, maybe it, it'll stop at some point, but not for me. I still think that, you know, if I just had this, I was thinking this morning, you know, if, if I had a second home, like a, like a condo, and there's a place called Chincoteague, Virginia, which is like one of my favorite places in the world. And it'd be, be, don't you think it would be nice to have a condo there? And it's just, my life would be so much better and I'd be happier and everything would be rewarding and fulfilled. And it's like, and I sometimes start thinking in my mind of how to work that out. And then I realize, no, that, that won't be any happier. But then again, I, I tell myself I will be. So it's, it's not something I think anybody ever fully grows out of. Um, anyway, thank you for your comments. I see Nick is here telling us we got to get out. Um, uh, we'll continue with this uh, next week. Um, it'll be a little different next week, but then again, it'll be somewhat like the liturgy. The, there'll be uh, regularity, uh, but uh, changes within the regularity. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Will it still be meaningless?